Chapter 9 of Oscar Wilde and Myself by Lord Alfred Douglas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Naples and Paris When Wilde came to the Villa Giudice, he was in fair health and reasonable spirits. That he had eaten and drunk too much at Berneval he freely admitted, but on the whole he was in good physical condition. From the end of August to the middle of November, he had the run of my villa as my guest, and I paid the whole of the housekeeping expenses, including the tradesmen's bills for food and wine, the servants' wages, and so forth, to which expenses Wilde never so much as contributed a farthing piece. So far as I am aware, the life he lived here was perfectly proper and without reproach. He had brought with him from Berneval a rough draft of part of the Ballad of Reading Jail, which he read to me. It has been stated on supposed authority that Wilde composed none of the Ballad of Reading Jail during the time of his imprisonment. He told me that he had composed certain of the stanzas in prison, and he added to them at Berneval, but there can be no question that the poem was completed at Naples. He laboured over it in a manner which I had never known him to labour before, Every word had to be considered, every rhyme and every cadence carefully pondered. I had ballad of Reading Jail for breakfast, dinner and tea, and for many weeks it was almost our sole topic of conversation. For my own part, I too was busy with literary work, and I wrote at Naples during this period some of my best sonnets, and occupied myself with various translations. We had not an idle week during the whole time we were together. It was one of the charges against me in the Ransom case that I hindered Wilde in his literary production, and that he never did anything worth doing when he was with me. How maliciously false these statements were may be gathered from the fact that he planned and wrote the whole of a woman of no importance while we were together at Lady Mount Temple's house at Babacombe, that he wrote the whole of the importance of being earnest at Worthing, where we shared a house, and the ideal husband partly at Goring, where we shared a house, and partly in London, while we were continually together. While he composed and completed the final version of the Ballad of Reading Jail, whilst staying in my villa at Naples, I have no desire to take credit to myself for another man's work, but many collaborations between authors have been acknowledged on much less slender grounds than it would be possible for me to set up in the matter of the aforesaid plays and of the aforesaid Ballad of Reading Jail, if I were disposed to do so. In the ordinary course of events, I would never have said a single word on the subject. It seemed to me perfectly natural that, as we were together, Wilde should show me what he was doing and read me what he was writing. And as he thereby invited advice and criticism, it seemed to be perfectly natural that I should give it, and that he should adopt it. The truth is that Wilde consistently made free use of such gifts as I possessed, that I assisted him to many a piece of dialogue and many a jibe which has helped to make him famous, and that I gave him very material aid and counsel in the matter of the Ballad of Reading Jail. 
there are passages in this latter poem which he lifted holus bolus from a poem of my own and it must be remembered that while up to the time that he left reading jail he had affected some scorn of the ballad form and knew next to nothing of its possibilities i had given a great amount of attention to the study of that form and had produced the ballad of perkin warbeck and the ballad of st vitus which latter wilde read for the first time at naples and with which he was mightily impressed it would be preposterous for me to claim more than my due as regards the literary side of our friendship and i had perhaps better put the position this way i have never denied that i learned things from wilde and that up to a certain point i owe a good deal to him in the literary sense on the other hand in view of what he said it is necessary for me to point out that wilde owes just as much to me as i owe to him and for that matter a great deal more i have written neither plays nor poems which embody a single word or phrase of his and i never took a literary hint from him in my life he has done me the honour to use a great deal of alfred douglas and he is perfectly welcome all i ask is that i may not be maligned in consequence although our life at the villa giudice was perfectly harmless and consisted mainly of fairly strenuous literary toil the fact that we were together did not please certain of wilde's friends and the scandalmongers were set busy again how easy it is to make scandal was prettily illustrated by no lesser personage than mr justice darling during the course of the ransom trial are you aware mr campbell said his lordship to the defending counsel are you aware of the reputation of naples of course mr campbell shook his head in the most deprecatory manner and the jury made a mental note that a villa at naples meant the very lowest depths of wickedness and profligacy anybody who knows europe at all knows perfectly well that naples was then and is now a resort of the most exclusive set of the italian aristocracy and that there is a large and highly respectable english colony there my grandmother the late honourable mrs alfred montgomery lived there for twenty years and there was not a person of position in the place by whom i was not known or with whom i was not on calling terms if i cared to follow up my social duties there is nothing at all about the reputation of naples to differentiate it from rome or genoa or florence or venice or any other italian city many people of distinction whom mr justice darling might not be sorry to know continue to make a point of going there every season well just as there were brave men before agamemnon so there were people who could ferret out scandal even from the most harmless method of life before mr justice darling wilde and i were together at naples and malice and leering gossip were abroad with their abominable insinuations before one had time to say jackknife the reports naturally came to the ears of my people who were much distressed and upset by them 
and it was pointed out to me that i was doing myself great damage by befriending this man and that i ought to send him about his business one of the attaches from the british embassy at rome in which city i had spent the winter of eighteen ninety six with my mother came to naples at the instigation of the ambassador expressly to see me and to urge on me the advisability of dissociating myself from wilde he told me that the fact that i had wilde as a guest in my house was causing all sorts of unpleasant gossip and he even went so far as to say that it was not fair to them at the embassy that i should persist in giving cause for such gossip as they had all made a point of being civil and friendly to me when i was in rome i told him that i cared nothing for gossip and scandal that i had asked wilde to stay with me because he had nowhere else to go and was practically without means and that it was unthinkable that in these circumstances i should turn him out of my house simply because evil-minded people chose to concern themselves with what was no affair of theirs he was very insistent and when he found that i was not to be moved he got annoyed with me told me i was a quixotic fool and that i should live to be very sorry for having befriended a beast like wilde who would get everything he could out of me and then probably turn round and abuse me i was very indignant at this prophetic pronouncement and we parted in anger i believed then and i believe now that my attitude was the right one and the gentlemanly one in the right sense of the word i knew that oscar wilde was hard at work on his poem i believed that his life was clean and that he was determined to keep from his old evil courses and i knew that my life was just as proper as it always had been and i consequently saw no reason for turning upon my friend the world was welcome to shrug its shoulders if it cared to and i proposed to leave it to its shrugging but the feeling amongst my friends in england largely got up and fermented by my enemies ultimately became so strong that it was proposed to stop my financial supplies unless i consented to a separation from wilde i was thus forced to capitulate but i did not do so without a struggle and without making provision for the man who was dependent upon me i arranged to leave him at the villa giudice the rent of which had been paid in advance and i arranged that my mother should send him two hundred pounds which would enable him to live in comfort for a month or two and i further arranged to let him have additional money as he wanted it i make special reference to the sum of two hundred pounds because it is a payment which can be authenticated and in fact was authenticated at the ransom trial it is true that at the very moment when he was writing to me in acknowledgment of these sums and to express his gratitude for my kindness he was complaining to ross in a letter produced at the ransom trial that i had deserted him because his money was done but every one with the slightest knowledge of wilde's affairs knows perfectly well that all the money wilde had was the allowance of two pounds nineteen and odd which came to him weekly through his friends 
the general untrustworthiness of wilde's accusation is obvious on the face of it any one acquainted with him would moreover have laughed at his impudence in saying that i expected him to raise money i knew wilde too well to expect him to raise money even in his alleged palmy days and that i should have been ass enough to suppose that when he came to me at naples an ex-convict an undischarged bankrupt and on a railway ticket that i had paid for he could be financially useful to me is too ridiculous for words yet ransom gets into the critical study the following choice sentences soon after wilde left berneval for naples those who controlled the allowance that enabled him to live with his friend purposely stopped it his friend as soon as there was no money left him it was said wilde a most bitter experience in a bitter life he went to paris the last sentence should have had an addendum it should have read he went to paris with two hundred pounds of lord alfred douglas's money in his pocket which had been sent to him per mr moradi and the marchioness of queensbury but it doesn't of course wilde went to paris and he went the moment he heard i was proposing to live there it was in december of eighteen ninety seven that he came and took an apartment at a hotel in the rue marsalier a few weeks earlier i came to paris and became the tenant of a flat in the avenue kleber he might just as well have lived at my flat for the use he made of his hotel except to sleep in for a whole year that is to say down to the end of eighteen ninety eight he used my flat as though it were his own invariably turning up at meal-times when he had nowhere else to lunch or dine and never failing to extract from me a good deal more than i could at that period afford to give him in the way of money to tide him over his constant and ever-recurring difficulties i believe that from time to time he picked up various sums of money on his own in january or february of eighteen ninety eight he published the ballad of reading jail through leonard smithers and later i believe he obtained some small advances of money from theatrical managers for plays which he was always going to write but of which he never produced a line the rights of one of these he seems to have sold for sums varying from twenty to a hundred pounds to at least half a dozen different persons and he also sold for small sums the plots of two plays and several short stories which have since been given to the public by another hand but whatever money he got did him no good a couple of hundred francs would take him away from his dinner at the avenue kleber to do himself well with a roaring company of boulevardier but the next day he was back at lunch full of complaints of the hardness of the world and full of groans over his difficulties i speedily came to consider him in the light of a permanent pensioner and my servants had instructions to give him food and not infrequently lent him money in my absence during eighteen ninety nine and nineteen hundred his work went from bad to worse at the end of eighteen ninety nine 
i took a shooting box in scotland jointly with my brother douglas of howick and i was in scotland until the death of my father in january nineteen hundred i came into a considerable amount of money under my father's will and the very first payment i made out of my inheritance was one hundred pounds which i sent to oscar wilde in paris out of this money he took a trip to switzerland by the time he came back i was at the hotel conde in chantilly where i had acquired a racing stable of course i was often in paris and whenever i was there i made a point of asking wilde to lunch or dine and i never left him without handing him sums of money my pass-books show that in a single year after the death of my father i gave wilde nearly four hundred pounds in cheques alone the figures appear in my bank-book and were proved at the ransom trial and i must have given him twice as much in hard cash or notes at the very least penny he had from me that year quite a thousand pounds over and above more or less constant entertainment it was almost impossible for me to take a meal with him and keep money in my pocket he would come to the restaurant or hotel where we were to meet with a dejected and depressed look on him as who should say behold how we are harassed and reduced and in what pain of mind we exist i would give him of the best to cheer and comfort him but his spirits insisted on remaining damp and it was only with difficulty that one could get a smile out of him when the time came for parting if i put my hand in my pocket and handed him five or six hundred francs well and good if not he would order another old brandy and open up a dreadful tale as to the condition of his bill at the hotel the attitude of his landlord about it and his own desperation and despair in the end i got more or less into the habit of handing him what i proposed to give him before we proceeded to refresh ourselves i found that by this means the old oscar wilde was brought to the front and we could talk pleasantly together as gentlemen should i remember a certain occasion on which one of our sittings had been prolonged until a very late hour i had taken the precaution to hand him a note for a thousand francs before we sat down to dine he took his usual abundant share of the good things and we talked and laughed over our string of liqueurs and let dull care go his own way when i called for the bill wilde suddenly pulled a long and piteous face my dear boy he said money ah oh, money i hate to distress you but i really must have a thousand francs now i cannot return to my hotel unless i have with me money to pay at least part of the bill i don't mind telling you that i am without a penny in the world and if i do not go to the hotel to-night i shall be homeless but my dear oscar i said i have just given you a thousand francs which you put in your pocket he looked at me as one amazed and then burst into a fit of coughing laughter i laughed too though he could have lived quite comfortably on what i gave him and though he had as we have seen a weekly allowance which should at least have kept him from starvation 
there can be no doubt that towards the end of his life wilde underwent a certain amount of privation he resorted to all sorts of desperate shifts to get money and composed many very plausible begging letters but just as pretty well every decent door was shut to him so people had begun to steal their hearts against him especially as he was now drinking in a most reckless way and made no secret of the fact that he had once more given himself over to his old habits he became a sort of show for the bohemians of paris the sport and mock of the boulevard and the reproach of english letters in the city of light he got his dinners on credit and borrowed money from waiters his health was on the downgrade in consequence of the intensification by alcohol of a terrible disease he had contracted he took to weeping and cursing at the slightest provocation and though his wit would flame out and his learning remained with him to the last it was a poor wreck and shadow of himself which i saw from time to time when i went to paris on various occasions in the year nineteen hundred all through my acquaintance with him after his release from prison it had required a good deal of pluck to be seen about with him he was known and notorious wherever we went and i have seen men leave cafes because he had entered and heard lulls in conversation and unpleasant jibes when we have visited restaurants together at some of the places which we frequented they would have turned him out had it not been for the fact that apparently they could not afford to turn me out in his later period the feeling against him grew more and more pronounced his companionships and resorts were of the vilest and his self-respect was almost entirely gone of wilde's life in paris before he began to break up the following is a good sample daily itinerary he would rise late say at half-past eleven or twelve o'clock and walk from his hotel in the latin quarter through the louvre to the cafe de la paix where he would sit and drink aperitifs before going to lunch in the afternoon he would go to the grand cafe where he would drink till dinner-time the evening he generally spent where his friends might lead him and some of them led him to pretty dreadful places when i came to paris from chantilly if i had not made an appointment with him beforehand i could always find him at the grand cafe or the cafe de la paix of a morning or at the cafe julien or the calaisaya bar of an afternoon so long as i remained in paris he lunched and dined with me as a matter of course pilards mers and the cafe de la paix being our chief resorts at his meals he behaved always like a pleased child provided that is to say you would put him into a decent humour with a present of money beforehand he was the biggest eater i ever knew and the only man i ever met in my life who could drink quantities of champagne at each meal and keep on doing it he had a fine head for drink and it was not until eighteen months or so before his death that he began to lose it intoxication would come over him suddenly and without apparent warning 
he would rise from his seat and say my dear fellow i am sorry but i perceive that i am drunk then he would call loudly for a cab and stumble forth he made a great joke about these drunken fits and one day said to me i have made a wonderful discovery i find that alcohol taken persistently and in sufficiently large quantities produces all the effects of intoxication and so it certainly did at mayer's there was a real eighteen hundred brandy which had originally been laid down at the tuileries wilde had some of it after a dinner there and immediately began to make mayer's his home the stuff cost five or six francs a glass but this was nothing to wilde if he happened to have money or was the guest of somebody else he used to compliment the maitre d'hotel on this excellent brandy and there was no getting him away from it wilde had few friends other than myself who could be of use to him financially frank harris used to come over occasionally and take him to dine at durand's and i know that harris also obliged him with money from time to time too he picked up odd acquaintances who had means and were disposed to show him kindness but for the most part they were americans and their capacity for befriending the man whom one of them described as england's premier poet dramatist exhibited a great want of staying power i was in scotland shooting when i had a letter from ross to say that wilde was ill but that it was nothing serious on the next day i got a telegram announcing that he was dead and asking what should be done in regard to his affairs i went straight to paris and to the hotel d'alsace where wilde lay dead i there saw ross and turner they told me that wilde had no money i promptly provided funds for the expenses of the moment and i paid for the funeral at which ross turner and myself were the only english mourners after the funeral ross handed me a list of small debts of wilde's consisting of unpaid dinner bills and sums he had borrowed from waiters and such like the amount being between twenty and thirty pounds these obligations i paid when wilde had been dead three years i received from a monsieur duboucher dentist of paris a letter in which he pointed out that wilde had owed him six hundred francs for professional services and that the account had never been paid i wrote to monsieur duboucher advising him to apply to mr adrian hope who i understood was wilde's trustee later duboucher wrote to tell me that he had applied to mr adrian hope but that mr hope professed to know nothing of wilde's affairs or to be in any way responsible in the face of this letter i paid monsieur duboucher six hundred francs in settlement of the account and got his receipt for it there was no question at that time of ross being wilde's legal representative wilde made no will but over and over again before he died he said to me of course if i die first you will look after my literary affairs 
ross was made literary executor of wilde's estate in nineteen o six six years after wilde's death after the funeral he came to me and said wilde has nothing but a tumble of old papers i suppose you don't mind if i go through them i told him to do what he thought best and there the matter ended ross was a person whom wilde and i found useful because he was always willing to attend to occasional matters of business for us which we were too indolent to attend to ourselves and this was the light in which i regarded him when i acquiesced in the suggestion which he then made one would think from the continual references to wilde's allowance being paid to him through mr ross that wilde was in some way in a condition of tutelage to ross as a matter of fact wilde arranged for the payment through ross simply to save himself the trouble and annoyance of corresponding with his wife's solicitors End of chapter 9